I'm Dr. Stephanie Martin, maternal fetal medicine specialist and medical director at Clinical Concepts and Obstetrics. Today, I want to talk about DIC, or disseminated intravascular coagulopathy. I think many of us get a little overwhelmed when we start thinking about DIC. And if I and if I were to ask you right now, like, what is DIC and how does it happen? I think most people would get kind of frustrated or confused or maybe even a little panicky thinking, oh my gosh, I, I seem to remember something about the intrinsic and extrinsic. And is it PTT or is it fibrinogen? What, do I, what matters more? Today, I just want to focus on the concepts, the principles. We are not going to be talking about the clotting cascade in detail. I don't want you to get overwhelmed by remembering the names of all these different things and intrinsic versus extrinsic, et cetera. I want to talk about the just the concepts, and hopefully this will help you have a different understanding, a better appreciation of why we care about DIC so much and why it makes such a, it's such a big deal to try and prevent it from happening. It's more than just blood loss. It's the secondary effects of what it can cause. So what is DIC? And the definition is an acquired, meaning it develops. You don't, you're not born with it. It develops in response to something. It's an acquired secondary complication resulting in widespread formation of clots in the microcirculation. Now think about that for a minute because I think most of us would define DIC as having something to do with bleeding. And this definition has something to do with clots. So I hope you'll understand that definition a little bit better by the time we get through this discussion. So what actually happens with DIC? Well, first, something has to stimulate the clotting cascade. Something has to make the body think that it needs to start making a bunch of clots. In the world of obstetrics, that's commonly due to hemorrhage. could be due to anaphylaxis. It could even be due to sepsis. So it can be any system-wide issue where the body says, ah, I must stimulate the clotting cascade. Now, when the body gets stimulated to start clotting system-wide, those clots don't just happen in that one area. It happens throughout the entire circulation. And when that happens to that degree, clotting factors just flat out get used up. The body can't make enough to keep up with the demand. So all those clotting factors that are just circulating around ready to go are consumed. And this includes fibrinogen, platelets, and then all the others like prothrombin, factors 5, factor 8, factor 10, etc. Fibrinogen is probably the one I want you to remember the most. The other, They're all important and they all play a role, but in the world of obstetrics, fibrinogen is particularly useful. So what follows after that, you've got this system-wide development of clots. You've got clots forming everywhere in this circulation, okay? And now the body's got to deal with all of those clots. And the normal response to that is to start trying to remodel the clots. Now, before we go on, I want to think, I want you to start thinking about what happens when you skin your knee. We're going to use this as an example of how the clotting system works. So if you skin your knee, the first thing that happens is you get that ooey gooey stuff on your knee, that clear stuff. And that's essentially a plasma type of of substance. And it contains a lot of clotting factors, platelets, et cetera, that are going to try and deal with this situation and cause and stop any bleeding that may occur. And eventually the bleeding stops. If you were to do nothing after you skinned your knee, eventually the bleeding would stop. Okay. But then what happens? You make a scab and that scab is essentially the, the clot. Think of that in terms of the clot. 
but the body is then going to start remodeling and breaking it down over time. That's what happens in a system-wide way uh, throughout the circulation when you get a, a, a massive stimulation of clot formation. But the problem is that that is, is primarily this remodeling system. So number one, you get consumption. Then part two is remodeling. Now, it's really easy for us to get, you know, uh, caught up in the consumption. And we're like, oh, my, we must replace clotting factors, replace clotting factors, replace clotting factors. But that's not the only picture, part of the picture. So you can replace all those clotting factors. You're still going to have problems from the remodeling process. So what happens with the remodeling is that you get plasmin and fibrin split products that are released into the circulation. So when we talk about fibrinolysis, which is breakdown of the fibrin, that releases plasmin and these fibrin split products that go out into the circulation. And these are uh, disruptive. These fibrin split products, these breakdown products from this clot remodeling, plug the microcirculation. They plug the microcirculation. What does that mean? It means they're going to travel through the circulation, go to the smallest blood vessel that they can fit into, and then they're going to stop there. They're like little microemboli all through the circulation. So this can happen in the kidneys. It can happen in the lungs. It can happen in your extremities, like your fingers, your toes. It also damages red blood cells. So these little products are flying around through the circulation, bumping into red blood cells, and it causes hemolysis. So it worsens the anemia that's already happening. And say your patient's bleeding, now we've got a double whammy. She's bleeding and the red blood cells that are circulating are getting damaged by these fibrin split products that are being released into the system from this clot remodeling. Now, this endothelial injury that happens, so this is a, a system-wide process, and these uh, uh, micro, uh, these fibrin split products are getting released, and they cause damage to the lining of the vessels themselves. Imagine them as little sharp little stars released in the circulation, just bouncing around, destroying red blood cells, perforating the endothelial lining of the capillaries everywhere they go. And now imagine that, imagine that in the lungs. So you've got all these capillaries in the lungs damaged. Are we surprised now that this patient develops pulmonary edema or ARDS? She's got acute lung injury as a secondary um, effect from DIC. Now, these split products can also cause platelet dysfunction. So you get damaged platelets that don't do their job, and then you prevent further clotting, and then you get worsening bleeding on top of everything else. So when you're evaluating a patient with that you suspect has DIC, there's some key lab findings that you're going to see. Number one is a low fibrinogen level. Now, what I mean by low fibrinogen is less than 100. Now, you need to remember pregnant women have elevated fibrinogen levels. So a pregnant woman is going to have a fibrinogen level well in excess of three to 400 milligrams per deciliter. If I see a fibrinogen level that's less than 300, I'm concerned. I'm wanting to know why is the fibrinogen being used up? What's consuming that fibrinogen? In a hemorrhaging patient, it's because she is making clots, and fibrinogen is a very important part of clot formation, and it's going down because it's being consumed. If the fibrinogen is less than 100, your patient is definitely in DIC. You have a profound low fibrinogen level, and it needs to be replaced immediately. Now, in the setting of a hemorrhaging patient, your PT is going to be prolonged before your PTT. And neither of those will happen until your fibrinogen is low. So this is why I made the comment earlier. I want you to focus on fibrinogen. 
if your fibrinogen level is normal in, in a hemorrhaging patient, you're not going to have a prolonged PTPTT. That doesn't happen until after your fibrinogen is significantly low. And then you also get low platelets. So the three key laboratory findings for DIC are low fibrinogen, prolonged PTT first, then the PTT later, and low platelets. That PT-PTT is not going to be prolonged until your fibrinogen is less than 100, or maybe you've replaced your fibrinogen but not your other factors, not your other clotting factors, and those are depleted by more than 50%. So I hope this gives you a little different perspective about why DIC is not all about just correcting the clotting factors, not just replacing clotting factors. That's important. But a lot of the secondary effects that happen are the re result of this remodeling of the clots and release of these fibrin split products into the circulation. So I'm going to end by repeating the definition of DIC, and I want you to think about it a little bit differently maybe than when we started. DIC is an acquired secondary complication resulting in widespread formation of clots in the microcirculation. Until next time.